This episode brought in part by Serverless Guru and made possible by the ever-growing and passionate Serverless community. Whether you're just starting your serverless journey, halfway through migrating your entire legacy system, or are an AWS hero, Serverless Guru can help you migrate, build applications, and train your team on best practices. With a team of front-end, back-end, and full-stack cloud developers, Serverless Guru can get you where you want to be. Hello, and welcome back to Talking Serverless. I'm your co-host, Josh Proto, and I am joined today with Darius, who is one of my favorite serverless enthusiasts across the globe. They're author of Serverless Using Azure and organizer of the Serverless Work Club Meetup. Darius, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Josh. Thank you for having me here and for that brilliant introduction. I think that nobody says that brilliant word about me ever before, so... <laughs> Well, they certainly should, because uh, there isn't that many guests that I've got to interview that, you know, I've sort of known for known tangentially and had interactions with sort of like more than for over a year. And uh, you're one of those. So it's really great to get to have you on the show and uh, just hear a little bit about you. You know, a lot of people on Talking Serverless and Serverless Guru, our main sponsor, and who I work for, you know, we live in a very much an AWS bubble, I'd say. So I love getting to hear just, you know, what are these other providers like and people who are in it day in and day out and to get their perspective. So thank you so much again for for joining on and letting us uh, letting us hear about you and hear about your story. You know, the first thing I'd like to ask is a little bit about yourself. You know, how did you get interested into serverless? How do you get interested in Azure and sort of end up where you are right now? Okay, so we have to go back to my primary school. So back then, I had a brilliant uh, idea with my friend. It was the time where the MySpace were really popular. And we tried to, to set up, it was like a, a website with kind of music stuff or something. I don't remember exactly. But uh, what I remember is that it was really brilliant. And uh, we ended up like spending four or five weekends trying to set up a server. And as you can imagine, uh, we failed during that time. And I promised my, my bro that I'm going to study computer science and that I would provide that solution to the market. Of course, it, it never happened because, uh, to be honest, I forgot many uh, assumptions that we have back then because it was a few years ago. And like a few years ago, uh, because we have brilliant Azure community here in Poland, I went to Meetup in, in Warsaw, organized by Azure Group. And I first time saw the uh, functions, so Azure functions, Fox. And it sounds like the best solution for my childish problem. That was really cool because first time I see that, that I can... I don't have to fight with the servers and uh, I can just deploy an app and have my app without like, you know, thinking about all this setup that I was struggling a few years ago. Oh, wow. That's a really, I find that a very inspiring story and uh, really great continuity of being able to, you know, sort of have a problem when you're younger and then eventually finding, finding yourself a solution and finding a solution in order to solve it. So, uh, I bet it felt really good to finally uh, have a solution to your server problems, even though it, it took a while. Yeah, unfortunately, there was no serverless uh, solutions back then. So maybe I will be like the owner of Unicorn or something, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, definitely. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about a little bit about your perspective on Azure. I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast are mostly living in an AWS world. And, you know, I think a good place to start is, you know, in what ways does Azure really shine compared to AWS? Or what are some specific things about Azure you find really compelling and very powerful? Uh, I would like to start with the thing that you mentioned that many folks just are more related with the AWS. To be honest, like a year ago, I went for a, a serverless conf to New York. And I saw many uh, charts before the the event that AWS is much bigger in, in consumption than Azure and Google Cloud, for example. But I didn't uh, see that, at least in Poland and in Europe, it was like more like 50-50. And I was shocked when I uh, joined the, the event because it was like 90-95% of talks and things uh, were uh, completely related to AWS. So, uh, for example, I asked about a product. It was like monitoring stuff and asked about, do you have the option for Azure? And they told me, nope, uh, we, we don't want to provide that, at least at the beginning. And that was uh, shocking, to be honest. And I understood that really it's huge difference in a U.S. market compared to Europe, for example. And back to your question about the difference. So, you know, I think that Azure does everything what they can to just get rid of that gap and to make that game level playing field. So they have a lot of interesting stuff. First of all, I would say that what I like the most is like application insights. So is the service to monitoring things. It's brilliant. I was surprised first time that many, many companies just work on own monitoring stuff like Tundra, Espagon. They are working for the, for the AWS solutions. And it was surprising because I thought that uh, AWS has a similar service like up inside. And the second thing I would say that uh, durable functions is what I like the most in Azure from the perspective of dev. So uh, what is durable functions? It's like you have the step function in AWS, as I remember. And the similar solution on Azure is logic apps. So you can describe the the whole process uh, using the JSON file and describe the logic. But at the same time, on Azure, you have something called durable functions. So you can describe the whole like logic workflow using code. So it's it's cool stuff, especially for uh, for developers because you know you don't need to like leave the place that you like. No, definitely. And I know um, I know you've written some good pieces on durable functions before, and uh, I definitely highly recommend anyone who is like interested in checking out checking out Azure or thinking about it to, uh, you know, definitely look into these uh, sort of the, these features that Darius is bringing up because, uh, you know, I think it it's good to know what else is out there in the marketplace and to understand that, you know, you sort of have options. In the U.S., I think sometimes it can feel like you're, you're always forced to sort of use uh, AWS or, you know, Amazon sort of has this large presence in the U.S., so it can be can be hard to figure out that, you know, we do have options that there's other things to do besides whatever is, you know, just right there in front of you. Okay. And do you think that, for example, uh, Jedi deal uh, will make a difference that for government? 
I would like to ask you if do you think that Jedi deal, so it, it was like 10 billion deal uh, where a government choose the Azure over AWS can make a difference for uh, for US? Like, Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think so. I think, you know, we've been at Serverless Guru have run up against some interesting conversations with uh, the sort of government agencies as far as government serverless adoption. Yep. And my inclination is that they would, um, it would still be sort of siloed off where I think like the government sphere is so far behind everything else. Even if, you know, let's say the government decides to, you know, do a large amount of adoption using Azure, which they are planning on to do. Uh, I, I'm under, I don't know how quickly that would bleed into sort of the, the private sector, though uh, I think it would be inevitable because there's a, I think the U.S. has a large track record of technologies being utilized and sort of refined in the government space, whether it be for like space technologies or like DARPA tech, and then that trickling down into the private sector and then the consumer sector. So uh, I think that's that's a really, you know, that's really good news for Azure and really good news for uh, like diversification in the marketplace. Maybe not the best uh, best news for Amazon, but I think Amazon, from what I've seen, it seems to be easier to work with in a private space. I haven't used their GovCloud, but I think, uh, but I've, t- I've talked to some people who have. Okay, sounds good. I'll yeah, I think that definitely uh, the deal will make a difference for at least, um, as I mentioned, the U.S. market, and hopefully it will like allows Azure shine. <laughs> so another thing I want to ask you about, because you're saying a bit about how uh, in Europe it seems to be that like the maybe the the adoption is around more like fifty fifty, while when you came to uh, the United States, it seems like it was like 90 or 99% Amazon and sort of 1% everything else. Is that a trend you think is going to stay the same in Europe? Do you think Amazon is going to continue to lose lose market share? Okay, so it's really interesting because, yeah, it depends. So I think that uh, in Microsoft, they are doing what they can to just keep the Europe more balanced. And yeah, I think that the problem with adoption is uh, with a higher adoption of AWS. It's that in Europe, mostly people or many folks used like technologies connected with Microsoft. So uh, basically, when you use like C Sharp, Visual Studio, whatever, it's easier for you like to to use Azure as well. And of course, you have the option using uh, Lambda, and there is C Sharp. And but you know, I think that. For many companies in Europe, when you when you buy the whole stack from Microsoft, it's easier to get the discounts for a cloud. So I will bet that it stays like it is. You know, that's definitely very interesting. Just always good to see, get the pulse on different countries, different sectors, and see what's going on. Because uh, we really work with, and I love working with sort of the international team that I, that I do for the podcast and or at Serverless Guru. And so it's always good to remember that all this tech, technology isn't happening in isolation just in the United States or just, you know, in, in Europe or Brazil or wherever it is you're, uh, you're actually working out of. So I appreciate the insight. And, you know, when you're the... Uh, that working on Azure staff and you're isolated in your environment, 
then it's like the hope that you you can find your place <laughs> somewhere. Absolutely, it definitely seems like uh, when you're when you're isolated doing everything, it definitely seems like that's that's all there is in that way. Do you think there's opportunity sort of in the in the space or like in your market if there was a I don't know another sort of cloud provider to enter like between between like AWS going very very hard in uh, in evangelization in the United States and then Azure being able to have such a strong foothold in Europe and then AWS also being able to do what they do in Europe you know I'm also aware and have done some work with like Tencent Cloud and Alibaba Cloud. GCP also is a pretty powerful force. Do you think that there is potentially room for extra extra providers to join the space or what would they sort of need in order to in order to jump in, do you think? So I think that there is definitely room, but uh, it depends. So from my perspective, uh, for example, GCP like made a deal with the Polish government to create a region right here. And after that, the same did Microsoft. So it's uh, one of things that uh, like cloud provider can do. You know, uh, then it's guessing it's easier to, to have like the government staff there or like the, it's easier for companies to trust if you have uh, like region in your own country. So that can make a difference for users and for companies. Yeah, that's a really good insight, especially because, uh, you know, I imagine if you're getting these government contracts, A, you know, uh, government services have very high, uh, have very high workloads. So if you're going to be architecting for failure and ensure and, uh, and for security, then those are some pretty high standards. And if you're able to meet that and you have the seal of approval of whatever location you're at, you know, there isn't sort of a higher higher form of a testimonial or a authentication than saying like, you know, our country's government uses our services so you can trust us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At least one would hope, you know, not every go- government and country uh, I suppose is, is like that. Maybe one day everyone will start to worry if, you know, U S government uses this. So we got to use the different one. Uh, we got to use complete opposite, but uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm betting that in like the Iran, the Alibaba is the only choice. <laughs> oh wow! Oh wow! That's very interesting. That's good to know. I've done. A, I've only only some work with Alibaba Cloud and Tencent Cloud, and it was uh, quite a pain in order to get my account set up because you have to send them pictures of like your ID and get it like verified just in order to sort of like play in their sandbox and uh, actually start launching functions and stuff. So. Hopefully, they were not surprised by you using the Alibaba from US. I think they um, they definitely put you in a different bucket if you tell them that you're from like the US and they're or not not from the location, and they're like, "Oh, wow, okay." But they do support it, and I think that you know from what I've what I've heard, those providers are are connected with different framework providers like a serverless framework and. They're like the people in those companies have people that talk to them and are, you know, working with them to make their technologies aligned and that sort of thing. So well, at least one would, one, would, one would imagine that everyone is, is sort of doing that if you want, you know, technology is global. So why would you not want everyone to be able to use your, use your solution in that sort of way? Now, I'm going to circle around for a second. And I wanted to ask, you know, 
for the people that you're that you're working with and talking to the companies that are coming to you or asking you questions about their own Azure adoption, where are they sort of at? Are they, you know, completely legacy systems? And then they're saying, we want to sort of lift everything and move it over to, to Azure. Is someone usually like tinkering around with a POC? Then they're like, let's sort of roll this out and we need help with that. Are there sort of like hybrid systems of either using certain providers or a mix of containers and, uh, and serverless, or or how does how does that really go? What are you seeing right now? Yeah, so it depends. Let's say we are not talking about the startups because uh, being a startup, it's I think easy to to start with cloud and go that way. But when you're a mature company, then you can basically start with, and you can do this uh, with lift and shift. But to be honest, it's not the best strategy. I think that many major companies just try to move like the starting from the apps that are not so important and move them into the cloud or use, for example, uh, as I mentioned, uh, monitoring in the cloud or like testing environments. And that is the good approach. And then you move all the stuff that you have because like going the way or all or nothing, it's... uh, Hard to encourage people to do that way, and uh, I don't think it's it's a good idea. Yeah, but uh, for me, that way that you move uh, the ser- service by service and try to teach your people how to use the cloud, because if it's an old uh, product, they may be not familiar with that kind of services. But then I think you need to use the proper technology to the problems that you have. So it's not like when I'm going to the company and they have a problem, I'm not like the guy that will show the serverless. It's the best idea for everything. Yeah, it's definitely not. I can definitely relate. I think, you know, a guiding principle I always have is, you know, I'm always trying to do what's, what's best for the customer. I'm, I don't exist just to, you know, force serverless down people's throats, regardless of what they know and regardless of what their needs are and that sort of thing. So you know, if you if you come into a room uh, of a mature company who has been, you know, they know their business the best, they know the problems the best, then, you know, I can never know because they're living in it every single day. And then to be able to assume that this one technology is going to be the solution. When, you know, at the end of the goal, I think, you know, technology is always serving a purpose. It's serving some some end goal for them internally or for their customer. And that's sort of the ultimate you know, form of satisfaction. And I'd also loop in sort of developer experience as well. And sort of the, like the end user customer of, of doing the job itself. So whatever solution is like hitting those three things uh, is generally, I, I'd say it generally makes for an, an easier engagement or an easier, uh, you have an easier time at convincing a team to go forward with those solutions. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, the worst scenario is when you have the high-level manager that's completely like not connected with the team and somehow they have an idea to to go you know uh, to cloud completely or to use containers or something and i think it's the the worst scenario because you you can like uh, make your people hate cloud or new technology better to like show them small parts and encourage them to like jump in and yeah i'm really 
happy you brought that brought that up because I think it really uh, hits on something for me. I'm I'm interested in hearing more people's perspective on, especially those who are you know working with clients and building out these solutions and talking to teams. You know, how often do you see like major problems with maybe like serverless adoption stem from more of the people rather than the technology themselves? Because I can imagine there are situations where if everyone isn't on board or if you have a higher level manager that's really against maybe the the certain tools that you're using or the implementation strategies that as the serverless experts were sort of, you know, we've done before and see this is a way for you to get to your to your end goal. Is it usually that people are stopping the optimization of the serverless endeavors, best practices, or is it really the technology? Uh, so I would say many things. Uh, starting with the like government rules and that kind of stuff, but uh, back to the uh, I think that people can can stop you because we have many many folks that just want to like stay in their comfort zones and they are they work nine to five and it's fine and it's fine because we don't need uh, like only nutters but yeah we have to like encourage them somehow that it's good to start with new things but it's like continuous process i would say uh yeah because you know i see many uh many folks joining the meetup that are crazy about the serverless technology and you know having all of them in one team it's like the perfect solution for the the company that want to go a uh, serverless way but at the same time you have to encourage them like share their their knowledge then like push another devs to the uh, new things that they don't like to do absolutely i think that that's always very difficult regardless of the you know regardless of the team or the level of experience Sometimes it can be really difficult to, I think, you know, have the habits for like continual learning or continual improvement. I'm definitely a fan of, there's like a business philosophy called Kaizen. It's like a Japanese uh, business philosophy of like continuous improvement. And, um, you know, I think many of us are probably familiar with that. At least the idea of like, you know, always trying to find like small opportunities to optimize your process and try new things and see, test it out and see how it works. I think software developers and engineers are, you know, keen on like an iterative, iterative, like a POC process for getting work done, which I really enjoy participating in. And, you know, it can definitely be difficult for, uh, it can be difficult for everyone when you're, you know, when you have that nine to five job and you have manager after manager telling you, you need to bring a certain result to feel like you have the leeway to you know, experiment with serverless, try something new, sort of table this thing you've been working on for maybe, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, depending on, on your situation, and uh, just forget it and then do something new. You know, have you run into situations where, you know, that is sort of the case or something similar? And like, how do you sort of convince a team or convince people that, you know, you can try this new thing? What has been successful for you? Uh, oh, hard to say. So, um, for example, uh, last time when I joined, joined the company, I think it was easier for company to start because they knew that they had a guy that knows serverless a bit, I would say, and they could trust that uh, somehow I can help you uh, in the case of problems. And of course, I tried to answer all questions across the company. So it was like uh, 40 people, 50 people maybe, uh, about serverless. And it was cool because after... Uh, year or two 
I saw that there is huge difference. So step by step, people just want to use it because they see uh, that it's easier, faster to provide something using serverless. But they start from the small things like, you know, first uh, Lambda or Azure function uh, that will do the this, like scheduling stuff or something. So really simple things at the beginning. And it ended up with really complicated solutions. Hmm. Interesting. Definitely. Thank you for uh, for sharing that in that sort of way. You know, saying that like it's it was potentially easier like earlier on in order to sort of conduct these processes. What have you learned through doing these processes? Like, how has your process changed as far as uh, sort of shepherding companies through these decisions and and sh- and sort of getting people to the point to where, okay, I've learned that serverless is going to make my life easier and get to that next step of implementation. I suppose another way I could phrase this question is, you know, if people are interested in learning more about Azure and getting themselves to a a place of feeling comfortable with it for their business solutions, like where would you go? Where would you suggest someone goes uh, in order to figure that out? Besides, you know, just hiring you for all your time and, and a private island or something. Yeah, so first of all, if you want to use a new technology, no matter what it is, then you have to help people to use the technology. So if it's a new library, framework, cloud, whatever, to be honest, that's why I started to organize a meetup with my friends, uh, serverless sorts of meetup, because I wanted to have the people that share the same the same idea and want to like learn new stuff and uh, learn serverless because I think that thanks to the knowledge sharing we have more opportunity to work with people that we like you know by like I mean with people with the similar uh, perspective that it's easier than to like encourage your manager to use the new technology or new uh, tool if you have like team that uh, are able to use that. So if you have the idea, okay, let's use like library A. So then show the team, make a presentation, talk with them and just help them to start. And then you can go and ask about the like permission to, to implement that solution in the company solution. Now, during this process, do you, are you ever working with teams that, uh, either have AWS or GCP experience beforehand, or is it usually people who are, you know, sort of, sort of new dipping their toes into the serverless world? Because I'm also really interested if knowing, well, if, uh, you know, since a lot of our listeners are also deep in AWS, uh, does the knowledge transfer well? Like if, is does the knowledge transfer well if you've already been building using a lot of AWS or GCP? Does that sort of help you get up to speed with Azure? Oh my God, I can say from my perspective, because... There are many like presentation from GCP and AWS. I'm not so familiar with AWS or I wasn't at the beginning of the of the meetup. And to be honest, there are many uh, that I think that we have finite numbers of problems. And no matter what you use, it's like 80% of that. It's uh, without the special change. You can use uh, the same services uh, just with different names. Uh, of course, there are like many differences on like low level, but basically, I learned a lot from the AWS presentations and GCP presentations during uh, our meetup or during the conference. 
you know, I saw I saw the problems that I can meet with Azure with my field, and based on on that, I always try to like relate those problems that people have on different cloud providers to to my uh, services. And it's definitely easier to start with the new cloud provider if you have an experience. Yeah, and one really good way, it's like to go for the presentation from the second cloud provider and without knowing anything, any new notion or something, try to see the difference and try to see like how I can use these services or how these services are similar to what I use on AWS, for example. I definitely think that's a good good methodology and a good process. And, and something that really you know emerged to me while you're saying this is um, I really like the way that you understand like your knowledge of Azure allows you to sort of see what problems are going on. And then, uh, then you can understand, okay, how do those problems map to solutions in the Azure toolkit that I have? That's, a, that's just like a really good quality to sort of bring and to be able to sort of cross map those between just different services from different cloud providers is very helpful and very, uh, you know, sort of essential to being able to, you know, cross talk one's expertise of, uh, of services. Yeah, sure. You're right. Completely. And then another thing I wanted to talk to you about a little bit or ask you, I know from what we have talked before, I know you're currently not doing a lot of events or many events for the Service War Club meetup right now, just because the pandemic has been uh, sort of really throwing things out of out of whack for, for many people. I know for us, our serverless Portland meetup, we've sort of uh, done a stop to online events just because there's a lot and you're sort of, uh, you know, competing against everyone else's serverless event in the world, but thankfully have been able to uh, you know, present at a couple, which has been really rewarding. Has there been anything else uh, that you've been sort of like working on? Any projects, uh, learning any new particular services that you're interested interested in? Uh, how have you sort of been uh, sort of like itching that bug lately? To be honest, uh, currently, because many initiatives that we had in mind uh, were stopped because of the current situation. So like we discussed many uh, how to like share knowledge and what to do but still not something clear that i can share with you so yeah hopefully the the current situation will end soon sooner than later yeah completely i think that is our uh i always get this sense that it's been so long where we've been having to you know sort of adapt that everyone just wants it be, to be over and is acting like, you know, well, we've waited this long, so it must sort of be over yet. And thankfully, we're getting to that point with sort of the uh, the, the vaccinations and the medical response, but uh, not quite there yet, not quite there yet. Then another thing I want to ask is, you know, what do you think is the future for, for Azure? Where do you think the Azure serverless space is is heading towards any ideas of either new services or new areas that they're looking to uh, looking to cover or implement that you think will really be a game changer for 2021-2022? It's hard to say if we can call the uh, game changers, but what I see, it's like a bit change in the mindset. So uh, at the beginning of the serverless uh, movement, it was like that you use a function around Lambda for every service or every logic that you want to provide. And currently, it's more like, let's use the integration if you are able and don't use the glue that you used to use. So I mean, for example, functions. But 
what about the the new things in short term i expect to have like the graphic or that kind of power to to be to be shared by serverless and of course many other uh, services will be labeled with serverless but i'm not sure if it means uh at the beginning at least if that serverless is truly serverless because it's a bit different if you have like a 60 minutes delay to wake up for a, like a database or something uh, in comparison to a few milliseconds when you compare it to, to Lambda. But definitely in in short-term perspective, I will I will bet that uh, many cloud developers and Azure as well will go with that. Uh, let's do as many services as we can to be serverless somehow. Fantastic. And that's a really exciting place to be, I think. is you know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> just to get to be at the front of uh, helping people figure out, you know, how do I make all these services talk to each other efficiently and that I, you know, not running into problems with, uh, with cold starts or paying too much that I need to, that I actually need to pay for. Uh, those are always uh, really fun wins. And then setting up like the, uh, the monitoring needed in order to make sure that, you know, things are running smoothly and that no one has to carry the pager over the weekend to uh, get the bad news at 4am. Uh, and that sort of thing. So whenever I can sort of help facilitate a process that brings those wins, I'm always really, really happy. Yeah. It's always better to like, just don't see in front of your screen and monitor what you have. It's better to stay on the couch and like have a drink or whatever, or watch a movie and then eventually get a like alert on your phone or something. In, in critical situation. Absolutely, absolutely. That's definitely the flow that, that I would prefer in that way. Now, another thing I want to ask is, you know, I think maybe we touched on this a little bit before, but in this in this world where I'm, I'm reading more and more about, you know, certain ways or certain, or let me say that a few months ago I was, you know, since combing through my Twitter, and I was just seeing so many articles about how serverless is missing the mark and how serverless really is disappointing and serverless, uh, you know, like who in their right mind would ever choose to choose to, to use serverless for their enterprise production workload. And it wasn't even in the vein of you should be using containers instead. It was just sort of, oh, hey, it isn't really working out. Do you have any ideas of like where this is coming from or why this is happening? Because you know, maybe just because I'm in it so much, uh, I don't really get to see out of out of my bubble. But it seems like you know, I'm always hearing about uh, the new capabilities of different serverless services, uh, different applications, different cloud providers. Do you have any ideas on on why that could be happening? So I think that there are many like containers folks uh, that we have, and they want to do that stuff using containers, and maybe they are trying like. Use that against the uh, the serverless to to gather it or serverless because it's a bit different thing. I think that uh, all these technologies can like work together for sure at the beginning because uh, hopefully <laughs> sooner or later serverless will be everywhere. Yeah, but to be honest with that uh, container stuff, for example, and all these rumors that you said, I don't see the cure uh, for my childish problems uh, in containers because there's still a lot of setup and a lot of things that you have to have in mind. So 
Yeah, so I'm a bit surprised, but I think that it will take a few years uh, more to uh, for many services to be more mature. So, for example, once my colleague that is consultant from the AI staff, you know, we are talking about the AI, about the self-driving cars and whatsoever. And he told me that uh, he went to like London to help uh, introduce the AI solution. And the problem was that in the company where uh, the solution should be uh, introduced, many people just used paper to uh, write uh, like notes or something. I think it's the same. So if we have like many old but working solutions, it's hard to say about the uh, let's do serverless with them. We should focus at the beginning on like move them to cloud or like try to rewrite them, uh, try to use new function, uh, new functionalities from the cloud providers or uh, and from that perspective, containers are cool, but it's still a long way, I think, for, let's say, the old mainframe bank application to be serverless ready. No, I fully agree. And I've heard a lot of, of talk by, I'd say, some of the experts in the community of, you know, there's sort of like a, there's a spectrum of like cloud usage that year that makes sense for your organization, for your company. And, you know, on the far end, I'm pretty sure, I think it's like, you know, just like your legacy on-prem solution. And then on the far end, it's like the highest level of serverless implementation. And then you can sort of like chop it up and pick pieces of like, you know, oh, maybe we're using containers or maybe we're using some microservices, not just running everything, utilizing Lambda and AWS services or, or that sort of thing. So do you think, you know, that that approach is potentially potentially useful as sort of a, a framework? You know, for me, I think uh, I think it can be helpful, especially if it can help organizations like start that process of, you know, sort of evaluating their current situations and their current systems so they can think, uh, you know, is there is there a better solution? And sort of in that in that spirit of Kaizen, but I'm interested in your in your opinions. Yeah, sure, sure. That uh, Kaizen thing sounds really good uh, from in that situation. So let's do like small thing at the beginning. It's almost impossible to have like the uh, let's imagine the guy that will come to your house and will uh, tell you, sorry, uh, but you have to get rid of that house and start from the beginning. So I'm betting that nobody will decide to start uh, from the beginning. Yeah, we have to start from the like. Let's do something with the window or uh, that kind of stuff or painting, whatever. And it's continuous improvement is the best solution. I can definitely relate to that. Personally, just because I think uh, any way that you as an organization can minimize your your downside risk and your upfront uh, investment in order to get, you know, a meaningful, measurable and experiential solution, then, uh, then, then, you know, that's sort of like the golden point. Uh, if you're looking at those metrics, then I think it's hard to it's hard to fail, or at least it's hard to not know what isn't hitting your organization's objectives. Yeah, I know we're running up against uh, you know everyone's time, and I don't want to keep you longer than we definitely need to, as we've almost been talking for an hour. But any other things that uh, you know you'd like to share around Azure and Serverless, other projects you're working on, or or things you are looking forward to in 2021? Hmm, it's interesting. So I would like to encourage all of you. Like have a time to look at Azure, or if you use Azure, then look at AWS. 
and to focus on like how I can, when you have a, a problem, just uh, have in mind how you can resolve that problem using the serverless services. And from my perspective, it would be cool to have like many that kind of folks on the market that I can work with. And I will be super happy to meet you somewhere in the future. Lovely. And if people are interested more in uh, either reading some of uh, the articles I know you've, you've written on Azure and certain services and just follow up with you and the things you're doing, where's the best place for them to follow you and get into contact with you? Yeah, sure. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm trying to share like a few things from, from time to time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the best way, I would say. And uh, if you meet me somewhere, hopefully in 2021, let's come, let's talk and uh, have a great discussion. So I'm not an alien. Fantastic, fantastic. Once things move up, hopefully, uh, or open up, we can all get together at some point, some conference or some event and, uh, you know, get to get to enjoy our, our, each other's in-person company. I'm definitely looking forward to that. Great. Yeah. Super. Fantastic. And I want to thank you, Darius, so much for joining us today. You know, it's always great to get your perspective. And I love the times that we're able to chat and collaborate. And I also want to thank all of our listeners of Talking Serverless for, you know, joining us again, welcoming Darius and uh, getting to learn a bit more about Azure. And so until next time, this is Josh Proto of Talking Serverless signing off.